I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and you're listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania, taken from my Sunday sermons. During these times of uncertainty as the coronavirus continues to spread, I pray that the peace of the Holy Spirit would be with you and your family. Here's what we have for today. So brothers and sisters, last week we looked at the choice that Abraham had to keep Ishmael or to send him away in order that the son of the promise Isaac could inherit. And today we're going to look at the story of Abraham's testing. One show that, that my son, who's also named Isaac, uh, he, he used to love to watch it. Now he's really into Daniel Tiger, thank God. Uh, but he used to watch the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse on Disney Junior all the time. And, and the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, you know, they, they go and they do things like, oh, let's go find Goofy. He got lost in the woods. Or, you know, Minnie or Pete stole her blueberry cupcakes, so we got to go find them. And they have tools, and then they choose between the tools to try to you know, teach children problem-solving skills. But one thing that happens often in the show is they'll have like a pet show or a costume contest. And so they'll say, well, whose pet is the best? Or whose costume is the best? And surprise, surprise, given our culture's, um, shall we say, being enamored with self-esteem above everything else, everybody's costume is the best. <laughs> Everybody gets a prize. Well, everyone's pet is, is the best. There's no one best costume or, or you know, one best pet. And in the, in the prep work for the sermon that I did, for, for that I, when I was writing, a line jumped out at me. The, a commentator named Reno wrote, for many modern readers, the idea that God tries and tests the faithful offends. Everybody is a winner and prizes and ribbons are on hand for all of the participants. True love nurtures, we imagine. It does not challenge and demand and it does not try or judge. And I think he's right, and I think that the example from children's television reinforces that point. When confronted with an opportunity to sink or swim, to win or lose, to pass or fail, many of us prefer that everyone get participation trophies or special consideration for those who fail. And the damage this has done to kids in particular is something we'll be continuing to deal with for a long time. But brothers and sisters, testing serves a purpose, and contests, right, serve a purpose. And in some sense, contests are our tests, right? How well have you prepared, etc. And so I, I think that sink or swim, pass or fail, win or lose, how we have prepared for the test and how we respond while in that test determines the outcome generally of the test. And nothing kicks that up a notch like divine testing. So we heard in the morning's reading the story of God testing Abraham. And this is one of the most memorable stories in the Bible, and we could spend, we could spend years just on this story, going over what many others have written about how to try to understand it and deal with what, what it, what's going on here. And, and obviously that's beyond our scope and my ability to try and deal with a large number of them. And, and it wouldn't be helpful. And also this story comes up every three years in our lectionary. So we'll have multiple chances over the years to come back to it. And so there's lots of different rabbit trails that you could take in dealing with this text. 
And so I'm obviously not going to be able to cover them all or try to do justice to all of them this morning. We can see, though, right away in this story and in other passages of Scripture that God tests us. And that testing is designed with a purpose in mind. And we might not see that purpose, we might not understand that purpose, and at the time, we may not even recognize that purpose. And in today's call to worship in Psalm 13, it sounds like the psalmist himself was in the middle of a test. As it starts off, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now, it sounds like a, if you were into emo music back in the day, that sounds like dashboard confessional lyrics, right? But no, it, it's the test. He's in the middle of it. And he cries out to God, how long do I have to endure this? And testing, brothers and sisters, draws from us what, what we truly hold on to, what we truly believe, what we truly confess. And it's only in the crucible that we can get a good glimpse of what and who we truly cherish and have faith in. But then we cry out that this is unfair how dare God do this to me? How dare God test me? Does God know who I am? Does God know who I am? Do you know who I am, God? Why am I getting tested right now? And <laughs> God says, yes, I know who you are. And you know, you're reacting that way is a sign that you know, you're probably in, in deep need of some type of testing right now. Do you know who I am, God? Why, why is this happening to me? That's not fair. Yes, God knows. And that's probably why you're going through testing. And we have to understand also, brothers and sisters, that divine testing in this story and in our own lives involves what Redon calls renunciation and restoration. But before we get to renunciation and restoration, we're first going to look at preparation and response. So Abraham has been walking with God now for many years, and it's taken him a long time, but God has finally fulfilled his promise. And when we look back at Abraham's life of walking with God, we don't see a perfect person, right? And that's one of the beautiful things about Scripture, brothers and sisters, and that's one of the things that differentiates the Bible from other religious works. One of the things that differentiates the Bible from Scripture is we see people in their flaws, we see them totally flawed. We see Abraham's at times imperfect obedience. He obeys, but not quite always, or in the way he probably should have. And like in other works of literature, you know, we see kind of mythical figures, you know, making bad decisions and doing their own thing. But there's a difference between how the Bible shows us the heroes of our faith and other mythical figures of, of different cultures and times past. There's a realness to the biblical characters. They fail. They fail. They fail hard. They fail often. 
and their stories aren't sugar-coated, right? The stories don't always have a happy ending. So Abraham, he's human. <laughs> and his story is a microcosm of our own stories, too, of our own humanness. But one thing that he did that we should all emulate is that when God spoke to him and told him to do something, he listened. When God first appeared to him and said, get up and get out of here, what did he do? He picked up his family, even the ones that God told him to leave behind. <laughs> he picked up his family and he left because he believed what God had told him. And he believed that God will fulfill his promise. Now this is huge for our, our talk about being prepared because it establishes trust, right? It establishes faith. And we know that without faith, Scripture reminds us, it is impossible to please God. So now let's move to response, all right? So because we've seen Abraham's relationship with God in the past, we've seen how this has helped prepare him for this time of testing. When God first appeared to him and said, go, get out of your country, and he repeats actually the same words in Hebrew here, go to the mountain that I'm going to tell you. God tells him, go to this place and sacrifice Isaac, the son of the promise, the son who would inherit the blessing. How does he respond? The next morning, he takes Isaac, he gets some servants, he cuts wood to make a fire for the offering, and he gets on the road. Now, I've heard some powerful sermons that focus on what Abraham must have been feeling at this part of the story. But one thing scripture doesn't do in this story here is attempt to psychologize it, right? So I'm not going to attempt to try to get in Abraham's head uh, as he's nearing the mountain. This is what he must have been feeling and what Isaac had been feeling. What were the servants feeling? I'm not going to attempt to try and do that and fill the characters with my own thoughts on what I would be thinking and feeling. I just want to focus on the details here of the story. They journeyed to the place God told him to go. And then he says something interesting to his servants. He says, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I, we're going to go over there. We're going to worship, and then we're going to come back to you. Now, what does this indicate? Notice he said, the boy and I will go, and we will come back. This is important. He believed that even though God had told him to do this, God would not violate his promise to give him a son. God's not going to give him a son only to take him away. And Isaac also notices there's no lamb to sacrifice, and he says this to his dad. And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb, trusting that God would do something. They get to the spot, Abraham builds the altar and binds Isaac and lays him on the altar. Now think about this. Do you think that one old man would be physically strong enough to bind up a boy? And I'm not actually sure of Isaac's age here. I don't think anyone is. I don't think so. And this shows us something, right? Not only does Abraham have faith in God, I think it's safe to say that Isaac also displays trust by allowing himself to be bound and placed on the altar. And we know the story. The angel interrupts and points out the ram whose horns are caught in the bushes and tells Abraham, God has seen, right? And God ha has seen that you have not withheld that which is most dear to you. 
And this is part of the test. God promised him something he never thought possible and then asked him to give that up. And Abraham does. And he names the place Yahweh Yireh, which means Yahweh provides or Yahweh sees, not Jehovah. Jehovah's, don't even get me started on, on Jehovah. It's a mistranslation of Latin and all that. It's Yahweh. And as the author of Hebrews eleven seventeen to 19 says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Reno comments, Abraham no longer depends on Isaac's physical survival in order to have a future in the covenant because he has received him as a gift rather than held on to him as the issue from his loins. So what's so powerful about this is that Abraham does not hold back that which is most precious to him, the son of the promise, which says his only son. And we know, wait, well, it's not his only son. He had Ishmael, right? But in the eyes of God, Abraham's only son is Isaac. We talked a little bit about that last week. And we see fulfilled the promises fully too, right? As God the Father, as Abraham offers up his only son to God. God the Father sending his only unique beloved son, Jesus Christ, to act as both the sacrifice and the one making the sacrifice in order to reconcile all humanity to himself. As Abraham does not withhold his son, God the Son, Jesus Christ, is not withheld from us. One of the things we see in this story of testing, and I think the purpose behind all divine testing in our lives too, is this biblical theme of renunciation and restoration. Like I said earlier, Isaac was promised to him, and he received Isaac as a gift from God but even more so after the test. Because after the test, what he had renounced was given back to him, sanctified and blessed, allowing Abraham to see God's graciousness in all of his dealings with him and just how deep God asked him to trust. And that's what faith is, brothers and sisters, trust and loyalty. Faith isn't just mentally assenting to a series of propositions. I confess and believe and affirm a, B, C, and D. And look, that's a good thing. As Christians, we need to be able to affirm A, B, C, and D, right? We need to be able as Christians to say, right, God is revealed as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, <laughs> right? I could go through the creed, right? I'm not going to. But like the creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, that's a good list, right? These are things we confess as Christians. This is what holds us together as a community of confessing believers, we need to have that. We need to have some things figured out that we can say, something that we can assent to. But it's not just assent to something. It's also something by which we live. It's something that shapes how we make our decisions. See, God's not so much interested in us using the Bible as a list of rules saying, do this, don't do that. 
And, and in some cases, it, we can use the Bible that way, and we should use the Bible that way. But the Bible doesn't say anything in its pages about which presidential candidate you should vote for. <laughs> right? The Bible doesn't say, this election, and, and whenever the next one's coming up, 21, don't vote for this guy, or 2020. See, I don't even know. When are the elections? I don't know. They're this year, next year. Who cares? Both candidates are awful. Right? The Bible doesn't say... Choose you whom this day you will serve, Trump or Biden, <laughs> right? It doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't give you any clear direction about that. The Bible doesn't say when you're trying to decide, all right, I have a little bit of money. Should I invest in this business or should I invest in that business? Right, I'm going to see what the Bible says about that. Okay, Proverbs. No, there's nothing in the Bible telling you what you should invest or what you shouldn't invest in. Because what we're learning, brothers and sisters, and this is part of the test too, right, is as Christians we learn to think Christianly. That the rules that are in Scripture, right, the way God calls us to live, the ethics of being a Christian, we have to learn how to think Christianly, not just following a wooden set of rules. And that is part of experiencing the test too i don't know how i got off on that rabbit trail but all right time to bring it back a little bit because i was a little bit of a rabbit trail somebody needed to hear it i guess i don't know so faith is trust and faith is loyalty right faith is trust and faith is loyalty what we confess shapes our trust in god and how we live our lives in service to God. In the test, we are asked by God to renounce something. And it's usually something that is nearest and dearest to us. And, and this is hard to say the least. And I think it's made more manageable by how we are prepared before the test. And how we then respond in the test. And preparation takes place during our lives as we purposefully turn our hearts to the Lord. We prepare for the test by spending time in worship, by setting aside time to pray at home, by teaching our families to pray, by shaping our lives around the services, and by also shaping our lives around being in service of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we prepare in this way, when the test comes, we can respond in faith, as we'll have had years of trust and loyalty built up. And then we can respond, and our response will be shaped by our preparation. Like Abraham, when God asks of us, we should obey immediately. And unlike Abraham, well, except in this instance, we should obey totally. Because when we respond in faith, when we trust that God is working something out in us and for us, then we step into restoration because after renunciation comes restoration and this restoration is fully realized in the giving of god the son our lord jesus christ reno comments finally we need to be separated from our earthly loves so that we can receive them back not as sources of our happiness and hope but as the finite goods of creation that God established in the beginning, not as ends in themselves, but as things prepared for perfection on the seventh day of divine rest.
That's so profound. We need to be separated from our earthly loves so that we can receive them back again, right? And when we receive those earthly loves back again, they are not the source of our happiness. They're not the source of our hope, but we realize what they are. They are good, finite gifts of God, but they are not the end in themselves. And that's hard for us to hear sometimes. That our earthly loves are not and should not be the source of our happiness. That the things that we spend our lives around should not be the source of our hope. And that's why sometimes, brothers and sisters, we need to be separated from those things. And we are separated from those things in the time of testing. We don't want to be tested. We don't like that idea of being tested. We feel like that being tested is somehow unfair. How dare God do this to me? But brothers and sisters, if we are going to follow our Lord Jesus Christ, if we're going to follow in the footsteps of the saints in the past, then we have to learn to be prepared. So in the middle of it, we can respond. And just as I was going through this here, I was thinking of something that St. Paul said in the reading, where he says, whatever you yield yourself to, you are a slave of. So he says, if you yield to sin, you are a slave of sin. If you yield to obedience, then you are a slave of righteousness. And so that's what the test does. That's what the test does right? It's removing from us these things that can turn us towards sin, and it turns our eyes towards obedience. It turns our eyes towards life, so that when we do choose, we can make the right choice like Abraham did. And so, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father, who is from everlasting, and is all holy, good, and life-creating spirit. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If anyone listening is in the area here in Northampton and in need of help or food or supplies, please reach out and let us know through private message on our Facebook page, Zionstone UCC, or through our website, zionstoneucc.com. To all who have given and continue to support us during the closing of the church during the coronavirus, thank you so much for your love. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen.